Now imagine um, a fictional friend of mine, Layla, says um, uh, this. She's an expert on biblical wisdom. This is what she says. God created the world. And so he made it with uh, rules, laws of nature, moral laws as well. And if you understand God and the way uh, he, he set things up, the more you understand of, of the scheme of things, the better life will go for you. In other words, if you're wise, if you listen to what God says about you and about him and about the world around you, then you'll be able to, to sort out your relationships, uh, your marriage, perhaps, your, um, uh, your work. You'll be trusted at work and you'll advance uh, like Daniel and Joseph did in the Old Testament. And, and you'll be able to help others start following Jesus too. God's wisdom is what you need to succeed in life. Now I wonder what you make of what Layla says. What do you think? I think it's great, almost. Uh, it's great... Uh, except the only problem is, it's not actually true. And Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 show us why. So uh, first, um, I want to uh, show us why um, there is something in what Layla, Layla says. The first thing to see from these verses is that wisdom is precious. Uh, wisdom, uh, understanding the way that God has set things up and, and the way we work, and the way the world around us works. Uh, look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 7. If you've closed it, open it back up, um, page 675. Uh, wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. So here we go. For one thing, wisdom protects us. Sometimes um, Christians make it sound like money is a bad thing, uh, don't they? I, I don't know if you've come across that sort of approach, but it's not. Money is not a bad thing. Having money is better than not having money. It's a bit like a shelter. Uh, it, it protects you. When your car breaks down, boy, are you glad if you've got some money in the savings account and you can get it fixed. Uh, having money is a, is a good thing. And wisdom is a bit like that. And even better, knowing who to go to get the car fixed so that you won't get scammed is also pretty important, isn't it? And actually, wisdom is even better than, than, than having money. It's no, it's no good having money, enough money even to buy a house, even in these days. It's no good having all that money if you end up choosing a steeper place to live and it makes your life miserable. Uh, wisdom is like a shelter. It's precious because it protects you. Another reason that wisdom is precious is that, that wisdom gives us power, uh, control, ability to do the things that we want to do. Verse 19, I have a look down, uh, chapter 7, verse 19. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. And I think we know this, don't we? Uh, especially nowadays. Uh, wisdom is more, more powerful, more effective uh, than uh, force and strength. Um, uh, we um, at, at home um, uh, used to have uh, child locks on our, all our cupboards. Uh, one of our friends didn't realise this, and uh, I guess she just thought they were really stiff cupboard doors or something like this. So she just pulled harder and harder until you know she snapped snapped them, uh, snapped the child locks. Um, after a lot of effort, 
But knowing how to unlock the child locks would have been a lot easier for her, wouldn't it? Wisdom is more powerful than strength. Uh, just think of um, films or, or, or telly. Doctor Who is a great example of this, isn't, isn't he? So, or she. The, the, the idea that um, uh, you know, knowing what to do, how to do it, and when enables someone to defeat much more powerful-seeming opponents. Well, wisdom is more powerful uh, than just strength. And then, as well, look at um, uh, the last verse that Sam read for us, um, chapter 8, verse 1, over the page. Uh, Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. So there's another reason wisdom is precious. It brightens the face. Have you ever had that thing, you know, you're you're really trying to solve a problem? Uh, uh, Perhaps a problem in life, perhaps, you know, a a tricky uh, question in an exam or something like that, and you can't do it, and you're getting more and more frustrated, and your face is screwing up really hard, because it just doesn't work. And then, ah, you get it. Wisdom feels like that. Understanding how things work, or or why things are as they are, or or what your way through this problem, this crisis, is going to be. It brightens the face as the confusion and the fog melts away. It's just a really nice thing to understand, isn't it? To get it. Wisdom is precious. And that's why, by the way, the teacher has spent so much energy seeking to be wise. And he commends it to us. As he said before, it's much better to be wise than to be a fool. But the teacher also wants to warn us about wisdom. Because the second big point is this. Wisdom cannot fix life. Yes, wisdom is precious. But being wise doesn't solve all of life's problems. It it can't get us out of the brokenness of our world. Perhaps you remember a few weeks ago we had the the Bible timeline of the whole of the world. God made everything to start with very good. But we turned away from him, what the Bible calls the fool. And everything went wrong. And the whole world was broken. And one day Jesus will come back and make everything even better than it was at the beginning. He will... Fix life perfectly. But now we're stuck in the middle. We're stuck in this valley, in the valley of the the shadow of death. Everything that the the teacher says now is frustrating and fleeting. That's what that word meaningless that keeps coming up actually means. Not meaningless, really, but frustrating and fleeting. And we're stuck here. And we can't, however hard we try, get back up to the paradise that God created, where there was nothing wrong with the world. We have to wait until Jesus comes back to fix everything. So we've got to give up on gain in this life. And so even wisdom can't bring us gain. There are three particular limitations of wisdom um, in uh, chapter 7. Uh, that I think it's worth spending a bit of time thinking about uh, to help convince us of this. Firstly, death. This is a cheery 
Sunday morning, isn't it? Um, don't worry, there is hope here. Um, but uh, perhaps as Santana started reading, you did feel your heart sink. Perhaps you got your hopes up. She got your hopes up as she read that first verse. Um, a good name is better than fine perfume. Oh yes, great. This is a bit like Proverbs. A good name is better than fine perfume, and a good reputation dazzles the eye. But no, a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Layla, remember Layla, she thought, basically, it's simple. Just read the Bible, and then life now is pretty straightforward. Everything can be sorted out. And the teacher says to Layla, well, if you think that, go and spend a day at the crematorium. The crematorium is uh, when someone dies and they have a funeral. The, the uh, coffin is taken there and everyone uh, remembers their, their death and their life. And um, at nine o'clock, there's a funeral of a man who died in his 40s in his, of a heart attack. He did exercise. He ate well. He got life insurance. But none of that was much comfort to his grieving wife and children. At 10 o'clock... The place is absolutely packed. It's a service for a little boy who died in a car accident. He had the safest car seat in the safest car that money could buy. There's only so much you can do when a drunk driver is travelling that fast. Then at 11 o'clock, one limo after another comes rolling in to see a horse-drawn carriage bring in the body of a notorious crook. He'd been feared and hated by everyone in town. He'd had a long, comfortable life and died in old age, surrounded by his loving family. And then after you've spent the morning at the crematorium, the teacher wants to ask, what was it you were saying about the value of a good reputation? So death shows us pretty starkly the limitations of wisdom in this fallen, cursed world, doesn't it? And the second thing that um, uh, shows us that is providence, uh, by which I mean God's uh, ordering of the world at the moment. So uh, have a look down, chapter 7, verses 13 um, and 14. Consider, the teacher says, what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. You can't help but say he's right, can you? There is a crookedness to life. There is an equality of opportunity let alone equality of outcomes. There are good times and bad times, and those don't necessarily happen because of anything you've done or you've planned. Not to do with wisdom and folly, but but God's providence. 
And so wisdom is, of course, limited. You, you just need to read uh, for a moment about what's going on in, in different parts of the world to, to, to see the force of this. Think about what, what we just prayed about, it, somewhere like Sudan. There are children our Danny's age in Sudan whose parents have made every good decision that they could possibly have made in life so far. And those children are starving and dying. And our our Danny could have been born into the most foolish, irresponsible, perhaps even criminal family in Northampton. Perhaps you think he has been. (laughs) But he'd be pretty much fine, wouldn't he? Verse 15, in this meaningless life of mine, this fleeting, frustrating life of mine, I've seen both of these things. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. And God allows it to happen, at least for the time being. Come judgment day, everything that is crooked now will be straightened out and what is wrong will be righted. That's one of the reasons that Christians look forward to the prospect of Jesus coming back. It's why we're a people of hope. But that time hasn't come yet. We are still here in the valley of the shadow of death. And now wisdom can only do so much. Because of death, because of providence, and, um, and the third thing, because of sin. Have a look at verse uh, 20. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. This is uh, what we uh, called in joining the dots when we were thinking about um, uh, the the, the deep truths of the world. uh, The doctrine of total depravity. Uh, Everyone is deeply affected by sin. It affects everything we, we do and everything we say and everything we think. As individuals, chapter 7 verse 23 Wisdom is beyond the teacher because, because of sin. sin. Sin stops us seeing clearly. And, and corporately as well, not just individually, but, but all of us together won't be able to nail it. I think verses 27 to 29 describe the teacher's attempt to work with other people, see, see if together they can solve it. I think that's what he's getting at. The, the verses are actually very hard to translate. I think the translation we've got that, that um, San read for us uh, hasn't um, done a great job there. It makes it sound like the teacher thinks men are better than women uh, somehow, which he doesn't. Uh, let me read out again a slightly more literal translation, which perhaps isn't uh, clear either, but, but um, let me read it again. Uh, Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, and a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I think it's as if the teacher's saying, among uh, all the men, it's just one, me. I checked all the women too, and none of them either. No one together can find the scheme of things. We we can't work it out. We can't work out this wisdom. God made humanity upright, and we've departed from that, so we can't see clearly. We can't see life as God sees it. So sin 
spoils our approach to wisdom. Sin spoils our ability to see things as they are, are really like. Wisdom is precious, yes, but it can't fix life. It can't solve all your problems. You can't get gain by trying wisdom because of death, because of God's providence, because of sin. Now, chapter 8 uh, is like an extended worked example of that idea. So I'm going to get uh, Santana to come back up and um, uh, read that. So please, if you close your Bibles, o- open it back up, uh, page 676. Um, and Santana, if you'd read uh, verses 2 to the end of uh, chapter 8 for us. Thanks, Sam. So, um, I don't know if you uh, feel like you've got, got a sense of what's going on in that chapter, but the scenario is there's someone in charge, King, who is very powerful, but also uh, very foolish. The wise uh, who live under this king can see that the king is hurting himself and other people. Uh, including them. And the question is, what can their wisdom do about it? Um, You might feel, you know, look out of the world and you see that happening in other countries and and your heart is weighed down when you think about what's what's the solution to this social injustice. And the the teacher isn't a a cold, aloof academic. He he feels it. He draws alongside the person in this sort of situation. He says, I know how hard it must be for you if you're in that situation. But remember, one day, even the most powerful will die. And nobody wicked ultimately gets away with it. Remember God's providence. He's overruling. So be sure to remember him in the way that you act. And look for the good good things God gives us uh, to enjoy. Receive from him. Revere him with them. But be realistic. You aren't going to be able to change this king yourself. So if he won't listen, keep your head down. Don't get angry with him. Don't get into an argument or storm off. The best you can do is bide your time. It's it's as if this is in deliberate contrast to the the little nugget back in chapter 7, verse 19 about wisdom. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. And he's saying, well, yes, that is true sometimes in some ways. But because of sin and death and providence, it's just not that simple. Very often... Good advice can only take things so far. And so he ends his conclusion, verse 16. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labour that's done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Wisdom cannot get us out of this fallen world. That's why the Bible doesn't mainly actually offer us wisdom. If you've drifted off, by the way, this is the time to tune back in. This is a really key thing to understand. The main purpose of the Bible is not to give us good advice. Some people um, use the Bible that way. 
they, they look in the Bible for, for seven steps to a happy marriage or five tips to keep your job. And, and there is wisdom about work and marriage in the Bible. It's very good wisdom, but that's not what the Bible is there for. And that won't always work. What the Bible says is that it's offering good news. God's grace to save us from a fallen world. He sent his son to die for us to deal with our problem of sin. He raised him to life so that as we follow him, he deals with our problem of death. He promises to recreate the world where, where, so that one day everything will be rightly ordered and there'll be no more unevenness to God's providence. Do you see? It's everything we need. We don't really need good advice. And heaven knows we probably get enough of that already. So be wary of giving people good advice. But what we really need is good news. And I think we all know that, don't we? If we have a problem with our health and we go to the doctor, it's, it is a good thing when the doctor gives us good advice. Uh, thanks, Neil, for the good advice that you give. But it's a way better thing, isn't it, if they give us good news. It's gone. It's fine. Don't worry. Good advice is not as good as good news. And so it's a really brilliant thing that the Bible is primarily good news, not good advice. And we're crazy if we look to wisdom to do for us what only the gospel can, the good news. And so the last point is this, don't idolise wisdom. Um, flip back to chapter 7, verse 16. It sounds pretty odd. Perhaps you noticed when Santana read it. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Um, probably the key to understanding those things um, is the word there for over, over-wise. Is, the word over is actually translating the same word as gain. The, 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 the prophet, the... the, the um, stuff that the teacher's been talking about all through the book. Uh, the, 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 the thing that the teacher's been trying to get us to give up on. Give up on gain. And so using righteousness and using wisdom to try to fix life, to try to get gain, is what the teacher is warning against. And we've seen, um, if you've been with us in previous weeks, we've seen the teacher's warnings against using friends and holidays and work and so on to fix life it doesn't work it ruins all those things for us and we can do the same with wisdom we can try and use wisdom to to fix life if i follow the bible's advice about work or or school and exams surely my my career my results will go well i'll reach my goals it will bless me or if you're a, a primary school, if I do what the teacher asks me to do and work hard, I'll win the Star of the Week certificate. Or the person who is self-controlled in their eating and self-disciplined in their exercise and has a, a good balance uh, and looks after their body. And so they think that way they will be healthy into old age. Or the person who reads a book on how to share their faith with others. And, um, and so they told themselves, I will see conversions. I will see other people come to know Jesus. That's why I read that book, to get ahead in my evangelism. Or even take a, an elder, take a pastor. Uh, he thinks, if I walk humbly, 
preach faithfully, pray for my congregation, then surely my church will grow. It's as simple as that, isn't it? Or, or thinking being a good parent will mean I have happy, godly children. Or that being a good friend means that I'll have good, satisfying friendships. If I play other kids' games in the playground rather than just playing on my own, I have plenty of friends and people will like me. Now, what do all those things have in common? They're all idolizing wisdom. They're all saying wisdom ultimately can control my life and fix my big problems. So, uh, think of one person who's trying to get ahead in life. They've, they've heard that it's, it's a rat race, it's dog-eat-dog, it's the wisdom of the world, and, and they're following it to try to get ahead, and they aren't, aren't a Christian, if they think like that, fairly obviously. And whether they're bottom of the pile, or uh, Mr. Workaholic, or um, even Sir Joyless, they, they're, they're trying to climb a ladder to nowhere. La- they're trying to climb a ladder to nowhere. That person is an idolater. Because they think they can achieve success through competing with other people, with, with, uh, through the rat race. But then think of the person who is also trying to get ahead in life, but they're using God's wisdom to do it. So they're being kind and thoughtful towards other people. They're honest and faithful as best they can be. They've taken that piece from Ecclesiastes before about how um, a two are better than one and a, a, a threefold cord is not easily broken and... They're trying to put that into practice as well. But that person as well is an idolater. And it won't work. Because God does not give us wisdom so that we can save ourselves. He gives us wisdom to help us relate to him. Using wisdom to get gain is another sort of idolatry. We need to give up on that. We need to give up on gain. God will one day deliver us from the fallen world that we live in. He will fix all of life's problems. And he calls us in the meantime to receive the good gifts he gives us with thankfulness and revere him in how we use them. And the preciousness of wisdom is this. It helps us know how to do that. The Bible tells us how to use God's gifts and honour him with them. He made them. He knows best how to use them. But we simply start asking, how can I love God and other people right now with the things that God has given me? If I'm facing exams or or a health scare or betrayal or financial opportunities, well, we've got to give up on thinking we'll just be able to fix it. Give up on gain. Yes, do what is wise, but do it because it's how you can please God and therefore enjoy the life that he's given us. Now I wonder if that feels to you like it's enough. Is that a good enough reason to go to the Bible to help you do those things? Would that be a good return for you? We're a mixture of motives, aren't we? But the extent to which it does feel like that is enough is the extent to which we've got this book of Ecclesiastes. This is wisdom. It really is the very best thing you can do in this fleeting and frustrating world, to learn how 
to receive and revere. To know how to relate to God in a cursed world. And if that's the case, then wisdom is very precious indeed. Because it teaches us how. So let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you do give us real wisdom. You show us how the world really is. And you teach us how to trust you, how to receive from your hand, how to please you with what you give us. Please change our hearts so that that is our goal. We live in eager expectation of Jesus' return and seek to serve you with the things you give us in the meantime. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.